Well, this morning, we're going to continue on in the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Let me ask you a question. Does anyone have an annoying sibling? You love your siblings? Okay. If they're sitting next, I see many children with their hands up in the air. Did it ever seem like they did things on purpose just to bug you? Yeah, oh yeah, see, we got, I see that hand, I see that hand. I see. They just, they seem like they're just going to bug you. Uh, now, I'm a middle child, so I had the opportunity to bug up and down uh, on the, uh, the line of annoying. And I knew just, I knew the exact things to, to, to bug my brother. Man, it wasn't, it, we, we, and we still, even at, you know, I'm 42, he's 45, we can still push each other's buttons like nobody's business, right? You do things just to bother, I mean, how many, how many of you ever had the, would you stop touching me? Would you stop touching me? And so what they do is they just take their hand and just, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching. And you're just, they're just waiting for it. Heather and uh, her sister, I'm going to just share a little bit. Uh, Heather would borrow her sister's clothes and her sister didn't, didn't really like it. And but she said, you know, you need to at least ask before you borrow clothes. So Heather would wait until her sister wasn't there. And she would go into the room and say, Brianne, if you don't want me to wear this, say so. And Brianne would never respond. Therefore, uh, it's the only bad thing Heather's ever done in her entire life. Um, Sometimes it seems like people are doing things on purpose to bug you. When I was, we were talking about it this week. When I was in Virginia, I had a very deep desk. It was, it was, I could not sit at my desk and reach the front of it. It was just, a, it's an enormous desk. And my trash can was, would sit right on the edge of the desk so I could sit in my chair and throw things away. But our janitorial staff would always move it to the middle. And I could never see it and I couldn't reach it without getting up. And so I would, they, they would come, empty it, put it there, I'd move it back, put it there, move it back. I started to think for a while they were doing it on purpose just to bug me. And so what I ended up doing is I ended up putting a little label on the ground that said, trash can goes here. And after about a week, they took up the label and threw it away. I really at that point decided they were doing it on purpose. How many of you have people that it seems like they're doing stuff just to get under your skin? They're trying to see, I mean, <laughs> Rick's like, yeah, it's, we all have those moments. If you remember our story that we shared a couple weeks ago about the man that was healed at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus healed that man on purpose. He healed that man intentionally. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't an accident. When, when Jesus healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, he knew what was going to happen. Because here's what Jesus did. Jesus picked somebody that everybody knew. The man had been at the Pool of Bethesda for 38 years. So he was known. We know he was Jewish. And Jesus healed them, healed him on the Sabbath. Jesus, now sometimes we forget this um, as Christians, but Jesus was Jewish, right? Jesus was Jewish. And so because Jesus was Jewish, he knew the laws and the precepts. He knew what we were supposed to do and what you weren't supposed to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. Realized that the Pharisees had, no kidding, not making this up, 1,521 different ways you could break the Sabbath. They had created over 1,500 ways. For instance, uh, if the wick of your lamp burned out on the Sabbath, you couldn't replace it. You had to remain in darkness. You couldn't cut your fingernails, tie a knot, 
kill a fly or a flea because it'd be working. Women were not allowed to look in the mirror because they might see a gray hair and pull it out, which would have been reaping. My personal favorite is they wouldn't spit on the Sabbath for fear that it would plow the ground and it would be working. So when Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, Jesus knew it was going to upset the Pharisees. Because if you're not allowed to pull out a gray hair, you're certainly not allowed to heal somebody. And so when we pick up where Jesus was at in verse 16, uh, Jesus is, we're, we're hearing the response of how Jesus responded to the anger of the Pharisees. So John chapter 5, verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. They totally ignored that he healed somebody. They, but he, they, they were persecuting him because of the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I, too, am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now understand, we in, in church world today are used to saying God the Father. Right? We're used to referring to God as a father. In the Jewish mindset and at this time, that was not a common phrase, to call God your father. This was not common terminology. And so when Jesus did this, they understood what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I'm equal to God. That's what Jesus said. Now, so, you know, I mean, it says he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They didn't misunderstand what he was saying. That's actually what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm equal to God. And the reason they were so angered by this act and the subsequent dialogue with Jesus claiming equality with God is because they weren't ready for a Messiah. They weren't ready to somebody say, hey, here I am. I'm God. But think about what Jesus presented to them. I, I know Jesus knew how they were going to respond. He knew it was going to upset them. But just because Jesus knows how something's going to happen doesn't mean he controls what is happening. I think for the Pharisees, I think God still has hope for this world. I think he still believes in people. I think he still believes people are going to make the right choice and the good choice. And so here, Jesus did something that he knew was going to upset the Pharisees. And he challenged their religious perspective and their, their belief of what should and shouldn't happen. We're talking about a group of people that had created over 1,500 rules of what you can and cannot do on one day of the week. And Jesus presented the opportunity and said, hey, I'm equal with God. And I think he was hoping that they would take the opportunity to be transformed to be transformed in the lives of Jewish leaders. Oftentimes, we're presented with similar choices, aren't we? We're faced with a pivotal moment where we have to make a decision. God knows what we're going to do. He knows where we're going to go, but we still have to make that choice. And so how many of you have come to a crossroads and you, you, you want to know, what do I do? Do I do this? Do I do that? Do that? God knows what you're going to do, but... I believe even when we make the wrong decisions, God holds on to hope. 
that we're going to make the right one. That's why we have free will. That's why the uh, predestined, those only certain people get to go to heaven. I don't, I don't buy that. The opportunity is open for everyone. The Pharisees made a choice to reject Jesus even though they had seen him work. Even though they had seen him heal people and do miracles. They didn't dispute that he had healed the lame man. They were upset with him, though, that the man got up, walked away, and carried his mat, and that Jesus had healed him on the Sabbath. That's what they were upset about. It's because the Pharisees had developed a religion. And religion is more concerned about rules and order than about people. But Jesus is more concerned about people because we know God is love. And love is more concerned about people than rules and order. The reality is loving people is messy. Loving people is very messy because they don't always do the right thing. They don't always do the things that we expect them to do. And they don't always respond the way that we would want them to respond. But if we're going to choose to love people, then we're going to have to choose to give them the freedom to make their choice. That's how much God loves us. God loves us so much is that he gives us the choice to choose to do the right thing. See, religion is designed to control people. It's about control. It's not about love. It's not about loving people. That's why we have to be so careful and not get bound up into the religious perspective of life or get entrenched in the dogma of our belief about what is right and what is wrong. We know that the Bible is very clear. But when we oftentimes get wrapped up too tightly into that religious perspective, we miss people. We miss people. Jesus didn't come back to save Judaism. Jesus came back to save Jewish people. It's the same way that any of us that get so entrenched into a singular belief. We've seen some interesting things theologically this last week from strong Christian leaders making uh, pronouncements and statements on social media that I don't think are biblically, biblically accurate. There's a, there was one from a, a well-known theologian, John Piper, I'll just, I'll just say it, talked about how women shouldn't be teaching in seminaries. Because they take one verse and says a woman shouldn't be permitted to teach a man. They take it out of context. That's not how... There, 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 were, <laughs> there were female leaders in the first century church that Paul the apostle ordained to serve. I don't think I trump Paul. But see, oftentimes we can get so locked and entrenched into our religious belief that we don't accept that there's something beyond what we ourselves see. The, the Pharisees, all they could see that morning that Jesus healed the lame man who had been lame for 38 years, that he rose up and walked, he carried his mat away. All they could see was that this man broke the rules on the Sabbath. That's all they could see. They ignored, they ignored the miracle in this, in this man's life. It's one of the reasons why I believe the theme verse that God has given us for us as a church is so important this year. If you remember, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We're going to talk about it over and over again. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says, And these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. We have so much opportunity in our lives to grow in love. A friend of mine who lives in Houston was shared, shared a, a, a video message with me this week. We were on a, a, an app called Marco Polo. And he was sharing with me about a frustration he had uh, because he, just a block from where he lives, he lives in downtown Houston, uh, one of the largest homeless encampments 
in Houston was being cleaned out because the city had passed an ordinance that made it illegal to live there. And he was upset. He wasn't upset about the ordinance necessarily. Uh, What he was upset about was people in his church, how they responded to the plight of the homeless. Many of them looked at it very heartlessly and said, well, good, good riddance to them. They need to be someplace else. Now, am I saying that homeless should live wherever they should? No. But what I'm saying is that his church looked just at the problem, not at the people. Because the city displaced all of these people without a plan of where they were going to go. And when he asked people in his church, well, how are you going to help with the homeless need that we have in our city? They looked at him and said, well, that's not my job. That's what the government's for. That's not love. That's not the Bible. What's the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us to take care of those, the widows and the orphan. Actually, James 1.26 says, If anyone considers him religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Galatians 2.10 says, All they asked was that we should remember the poor, the very thing, I was eager to do. Even though Jesus had done great miracles, the Pharisees were so entrenched in their religion, they didn't see that God was standing right in front of them. They didn't see the miracle that he had done. They just saw the great offense that he offered by breaking the Sabbath. What a demonstration of the hardness of the Pharisees' hearts. They were so hard-hearted, they were more concerned about the rules than the soul of the man that was healed. What an indictment on them. Oftentimes, we would rather keep the Sabbath rather than involve ourselves in ministry to those who need Jesus. The Jews were upset with Jesus for making himself equal to the Father. Even though they sought to kill him for it, he doubled down on the claim. You know, verses 16 to 18, they they, they talk about Jesus' response, it went, even though the Jews said they were going to kill him and pursued him, Jesus went on to even further reinforce. That's why this, this, this passage of Scripture is so powerful. Because Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, declares himself equal to God. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. He declares himself equal to God, so much so that he, he lays out how He is equal to God. In John 15, 19, it says, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. This passage of scripture is very theologically dense, but in it, Jesus defines how he is divine. 
It defines the deity of Jesus Christ, how he, he is the same as God. So let's look at what he said in those five verses. In verses 19 to 20, Jesus has two primary points that he's making. He has a unique relationship to the Father. And because of that, he maintains unity, communion, and authority with God. And he has knowledge of everything the Father has knowledge of. He is equal to God. That's why Jesus can say, yeah, it's the Sabbath, but God's working, so I'm working. Because Jesus has the authority to break the Sabbath. Jesus has the authority to break the rules other people set because he's equal to God. In verse 21, Jesus claims the power to give life and the authority to raise people from the dead. In verse 22, he declares he has the right to judge all people. In verse 23, he has the rights to the same divine honor as God. And in this, verse 24, he announces he has the power to give eternal life. Now, apart from him demonstrating his miraculous abilities, these claims would have sounded crazy. But Jesus had already demonstrated supernatural power and authority, hadn't he? He had already demonstrated that he was doing miraculous things. But even in the announcements to the Pharisees that he's equal to God and had demonstrated it, they failed to recognize who Jesus was. You know, there's other religions that recognize Jesus. They don't recognize him as the Son of God. They don't recognize him as the Messiah and the Savior of the world. They recognize him as a good teacher. They recognize him as a prophet. But this verse, this, this chapter is something very important for us. Because remember why the book of John was written. The gospel of John was written to combat teaching that said Jesus wasn't divine. And so here's what John has done. Yeah, if you don't think Jesus is God, you're wrong. That's what he said. And he demonstrated it basically by laying out everything that was there. Jesus removed any doubt as to who he was. I am God is what he laid out there. Now remember, this is so pivotal in our daily lives because oftentimes we can look at the Bible as just a good self-help book that has good principles of how we have good relationships with other people. We can look at Jesus' teachings as this is just, these are just, it's, it's, it's basic lessons that if everyone would live by them, we would get along better. Can I tell you something? Jesus didn't just come so we could all get along better. Jesus didn't come just so the world would have better peace amongst itself. Jesus came to redeem the world because he loves the world because he is God. Jesus came in such a manner so that he could demonstrate to us who God is. That's what we've seen in the first five chapters of John is we continue to see how Jesus behaves in different situations. Jesus shows us who God is by the very nature of how he lives. And so when we see Jesus, we are seeing God. We are seeing the nature of God. We're seeing the character of God. We are seeing that God loves people. That's what we're seeing. And oftentimes, though, we can lose sight. This declaration of equality with God is so very important. Jesus is not just a good teacher or a loving man. Jesus is not just somebody that had compassion and healed people or took care of the poor. Jesus was not just a friend of sinner. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. That's what makes verse 24 so powerful. Verse 24, it's, it's, it's a powerful reminder and an important guide for us in life. 
Verse 24, it says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be contemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I want to highlight two words. Hears and believes. Jesus describes those who will have eternal life. I, you know, meaning those that have personal relationship with God and will live with him forever. And who will be condemned or not be condemned. He says, whoever hears and believes. The verb hears and believes in the original Greek are, are what you call uh, present participles. Now, we're not doing a full English lesson. We're not doing a full Greek lesson. But when we say they're in present participle, what it means is it's an ongoing action. It's an ongoing on. Keeps on hearing and believing is how you really should see that. So when it says here, I tell you the truth, whoever keeps hearing my word and keeps believing in him who sent me has eternal life. What it means is that hearing and believing are not a single moment of our life. Hearing and believing is a continual process in our life. We can't just have a moment at the altar where we hear and respond to a powerful moment and then get up and go do the exact same thing that we have always done. The Christian life is one of transformation. We are called to be transformed daily. And that takes us hearing and believing every single day. Does that mean when you leave here you are going to be perfect? No but it means you should be changed. Repentance is not just trying to do better. Repentance is turning 180 and going the other way. When we hear and believe continually, that means every day we wake up hearing and believing anew and afresh. We don't get to reside off of yesterday's altar experience. We don't get to live on yesterday's anointing. We need God new and afresh every single day day of our life. Hearing and believing is an ongoing process. Jesus continues to remind us that we need to stay fresh and engage with who he is. We, if, when we take Jesus for granted, we ignore that Jesus is God. When we take Jesus for granted, what we've done is we've just thrown him into the pile of he's a good teacher, he's a prophet, he was a good man, he had a lot of good things to say. That's not at all who Jesus is. Jesus is God. And so when we take our relationship with him for granted, we're not hearing and believing every day. We can come in on a Sunday and have a wonderful experience with God. Feel his presence, to feel his power. And we leave refreshed and wake up Monday morning and everything's the same. We go back into the same patterns. We do the exact same things. That's not transformation. We're all a work in progress. None of us are ever going to be perfect. But the question is are we making intentional steps in our lives to apply what Jesus is teaching us every day? Or have we just fallen into a rut and a routine? The Pharisees had rules for everything. Why did they have rules for everything? Because they had no relationship. They had no relationship with God. They had forgotten who God was. To them, God was a set of rules. That's not what Jesus shows us. Who is God? God is love. God is love. 
That's why verses, as we continue on, 25 through 30, here's what Jesus says. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has come now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. He has given him the authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Pick up what it said in verse 29. It says, those who have done good will rise to live. Now, according to God's word, in verse 29, and as we see uh, throughout the rest of the Bible, judgment is based upon action and conduct. Action and conduct. Now, it's, it's not to say that we are saved by works. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. But because of our actions over time, it represents our belief. Here's the question I asked in my, the leadership classes I, I teach uh, for the college down in Virginia. I would ask them, how do we know what someone believes? How do we know what someone believes? Do we know what somebody believes just because of what they say? You know what somebody believes because of what they do. Because of what they do. Belief and faith produces action. If I say I love God with all of my heart, but I continue to live a sinful life that does not honor God and respect the call that he has on me, do I really love God? Or am I just paying lip service to those around me that can see what I'm doing? The Christian life is one of transformation. It doesn't mean our good works are what are going to save us, but our actions will show our faith and be a natural outflow of our relationship with Jesus. We are saved by grace through faith or we're condemned by refusing to trust and surrender to Christ. But we will be judged and rewarded according to our actions. Most people who declare themselves Christians would not argue with the deity of Jesus Christ. There are those that uh, claim to be Christians that don't except that Jesus was fully God. The Pharisees entrenched themselves in a religion and did not have a rule that could break that would accept them seeing Jesus as God. That's why they missed him. We have the benefit of the entirety of the Bible to see the full perspective of history. We can look at it and say, well, how could they miss it? Well, they didn't see it all at that point in time. We as modern-day believers, we, we have a great opportunity to see Jesus as God. We don't necessarily dispute that Jesus is God. But we also don't necessarily live as if Jesus is God. We miss that second half of today's passage. The judgment of our life is in God's hands. But how we live our life is in ours. Do we live in actions that honor God? Do we serve God? Do we live by faith? That's why I think 1 Corinthians 13 is so powerful. Do we live by faith? Do we live by faith where we trust God and deeply believe he is our source? Do we live a life of hope where we believe in the promises of God for the future? Do we live a life of love where we demonstrate the character of Christ in our daily actions and attitudes? Many of us are great at believing in Jesus. We're great at believing in Jesus. 
But how are we at living that belief out in our daily life? How are we at living our life in a manner that shows we are different from the world around us? We're all going to have moments. But can people see enough of a difference that they understand we are hearing and believing Jesus daily? Or do they see no difference between us and them? They know we go to church. They go to church too. They might not go as often. They probably go Christmas and Easter. They know that we say we love Jesus, but we laugh at the same dirty jokes. We, we cuss right alongside them. We smoke, we drink, we do all the things that the world does. If the world can't tell a difference between us and them, why would they want to come to be part of God's kingdom? The reality is the Christian life is one of transformation. And Jesus declares, I am equal with God. And those that hear and believe Every day, their actions will reflect that relationship. We are all growing every day if we allow God to transform us. That's my question this morning. Are we allowing God to shape us, mold us, grow us, change us? I don't care if you've known Jesus a day or a hundred years. We all have something we can grow in. We all have some place where we haven't given God his place in our life. And this morning, my challenge to you is much like what Jesus shared that day. Hearing and believing every day, continually, ongoing, doing good works that shows the transformation in our lives is how we live a life pleasing to God. I would encourage you today, what thing do you need to do differently to show, not that you're showing off. You're not showing off, but you're demonstrating an inward change. That's why we do baptisms. Baptisms is an, it's an outward confession of an, inward, an inward life change. Man, what if we were more intentional about showing people how Jesus has changed our life? People would want that because I think people are looking for hope. That verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. If we don't live a life of love, there's no reason people would look to Jesus for hope. Because you are the Jesus that most people will see. And if they don't see Jesus reflected in your actions, why would they find hope in Jesus? Why would they place faith in Jesus? If they don't see you living a life of love like Jesus lived, why would they look to the church for Jesus? We have a great opportunity. We never have to feel that condemnation that says, I'm scum. I'm not worth, because Jesus didn't look at us that way. Jesus looked at us and said, I love you so much. I want to provide an opportunity for you to transform your life. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came and said, I love you so much. I am God, is what he said. I am God. Jesus is God. And he wants to be in relationship with you. Jesus wants to be in your life every single day.
Jesus wants to walk to work with you. Jesus wants to walk to lunch with you. Jesus wants to sit by you all day long and be with you because he loves you that much. Jesus wants to be with you continually. Not so that he can judge us, but because he wants to be in relationship with us. Jesus wants to be close to us. How will we let him be close to us? How will we let him be close to us? Bow your heads with me this morning.